You are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is produced by Crawlspace Media. This episode will examine the serial rapes and murders perpetrated by Jesse Leroy Matthew Jr. of Charlottesville, Virginia. It started with 20-year-old Virginia Tech student Morgan Dana Harrington, who disappeared in October of 2009. Morgan's disappearance gained significant media attention. She was a very good student with goals to be a teacher. She was close with her family and came from an affluent background. She was stylish, an artist, strikingly beautiful. She was last seen hitchhiking on a bridge in Charlottesville, Virginia, after being denied re-entry to the Metallica concert she was attending that night. Morgan was intoxicated and had fallen in the bathroom in the arena earlier that evening. She had a visible injury on her face as she puffed on a cigarette outside of the arena. Three months later, Morgan's skeletal remains were found in a hayfield just a few miles away. Her ribs, arm, and skull were fractured. Her underwear, pants, boots, and an expensive necklace were missing from the scene. Blood of the killer was found on Morgan's t-shirt, and authorities found his DNA was that of an unidentified man who in 2005 abducted and raped a woman in Fairfax, Virginia. Back in 2005, a 26-year-old international graduate student walked home from the supermarket in Fairfax City, Virginia, with a grocery bag in each hand. A large stranger approached her, lifted her, and threw her over his shoulder as she desperately struggled for freedom. He took her to a grassy area of her condominium complex and violently raped her, slamming her head repeatedly into the concrete ground and choking her into unconsciousness. A neighbor drove into the condominium parking lot, his headlights shining on and interrupting the violent rape. The rapist escaped into the woods, but the victim got a good look at his face and was able to describe him to a sketch artist. The violence inflicted upon the Fairfax victim indicated the brutality with which Morgan was handled on the night of her murder. It seemed that a rapist was escalating and that he learned from leaving witnesses in the past. In 2014, an 18-year-old University of Virginia freshman, Hannah Elizabeth Graham, had disappeared after getting lost during a night of partying. Hannah's case received widespread attention like Morgan's and massive searches were conducted. Many were thinking that maybe Morgan Harrington's killer had struck again. Five years had passed since he had last killed. The Fairfax rape was five years before Morgan's murder. All occurred during the autumn season. Was there a pattern? CCTV for many businesses at the outdoor downtown mall in Charlottesville spotted a slouching and stumbling Hannah Graham. She had wandered quite far from the off-campus houses she was visiting with friends. As Hannah struggled to walk, CCTV spotted a man stop in his path and observe her. He turned around and began to follow her. The man then caught up to Hannah and put his arm around her. He helped her walk upright and he took her to a nearby bar. 
The two had some drinks and then left together. A witness on the street saw Hannah and Jesse standing by Jesse's orange car. She heard Hannah yell, I am not getting into that car with you. Hannah's skeletal remains were discovered after extensive searches on an abandoned property several miles outside of Charlottesville five weeks later. Her nose was broken and her pants and crop top were turned inside out. Her shoes and underwear were missing. A medical examiner ruled the teenager's cause of death to be homicidal violence of undetermined etiology. Investigators identified the man on CCTV as 32-year-old Jesse Matthew of Charlottesville. Matthew claimed he and Hannah had parted ways that night after they had left the bar. When authorities searched Matthew's apartment, they found the shorts he was wearing that night, which were stained with a mixture of Matthew's sperm and Hannah's DNA. Matthew attempted to flee from justice to Mexico, but was apprehended in Galveston, Texas, after he was recognized by a local. His DNA, now that authorities had it, was officially linked to the murder of Morgan Harrington and to the rape of the victim in Fairfax. Matthew was arrested for abduction with intent to defile and first-degree murder in the cases of Morgan and Hannah, and for attempted murder with intent to defile and rape in the Fairfax case, whose victim was dubbed RG, her initials. In the Fairfax trial, RG flew from her native India to Virginia to testify. Once her testimony was done, Jesse Matthew changed his plea from not guilty to guilty under the Alford plea. This made it so he acknowledged that there was enough evidence to convict him while not acknowledging any wrongdoing. Jesse Matthew received three life sentences for his Fairfax crimes. Matthew later pleaded guilty to the murders of Morgan and Hannah to avoid the death penalty. Matthew has since been diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer. Matthew grew up poor in Charlottesville, Virginia, with a neglectful alcoholic father who brought his son along with him to extramarital rendezvous. Matthew was raped many times by at least three male adults when he was a child. Due to his stutter, learning disabilities, and low socioeconomic status, Matthew was bullied and prone to social rejection. He also struggled academically as a young child, he had a natural talent for sports and found his niche in high school wrestling. In adolescence and early adulthood, Matthew played football, ran track, and wrestled at Albemarle High School and Monticello High School. His parents separated when he was a teenager, and he and his sister Latasha stayed with their mother. His father moved an hour away and had a number of run-ins with the law, including charges of public intoxication and indecent exposure. Matthew defied the odds and the expectations of others by attending college on a full academic scholarship. This achievement was short-lived as his enrollment to college co-occurred with the onset of sexual assault perpetration. Investigators found that when Jesse Matthew was a college student, he was accused of on-campus rape at two different universities. Christopher Newport University and Liberty University. 
The first rape accusation was in October of 2002 when Jesse Matthew was a junior. The second assault less than a year later was in September of 2003. Both incidents led to Matthew leaving school where he was playing college football. No criminal investigation or charges resulted in the complaints filed by Matthew's victims. Friends described Matthew as a gentle giant. He was 6'2 and 275 pounds and a quote, teddy bear. The people in his life were stunned by reports of his crimes. He was described as a kind, quiet individual, but was not smooth with women and made things quote, awkward. He had worked as a cab driver and in a hospital as an emergency room orderly. He had a girlfriend. He was a night owl and frequented many bars and restaurants in the Charlottesville area. He had one criminal complaint in his history in which a road rage incident escalated to Matthew grabbing a man's cell phone and punching him in the face. Matthew was remorseful and drove the man to the hospital. Jesse Matthews' motives in committing serial homicide offenses was sexual gratification. Matthew had begun a pattern of sexually assaulting female college students when he enrolled in college himself. Unfortunately, no charges against Matthew were filed in the cases that occurred when he was in college because they were handled internally and he continued preying on young women. Though he was never arrested, Matthew lost his football scholarship and any chance to succeed beyond a high school diploma because of his sexual misconduct. Matthew's crimes escalated in violence and brutality over time, but each attack involved sexually assaulting the victim. We know this because of his surviving complainants in the college setting and in the 2005 Fairfax rape case. In Morgan's and Hannah's cases, Matthew disposed of their bodies in a concerted effort to delay or prevent discovery. As a result, both women's remains were skeletonized and the presence of sexual injury could not be determined. However, Hannah's pants and shirt were inside out, suggesting they were removed at the time or near the time of her homicide. And her bodily fluid was mixed with Matthew's semen on a stain on his shorts that he wore the night of her disappearance. The night before Morgan disappeared, a female passenger in Matthew's taxi was short of funds. Matthew suggested she perform a sexual act. Morgan didn't have any cash when she had hitchhiked on the Copley Bridge, having given all of her money to a friend. Furthermore, some clothing items were found with the women's remains, but missing were their underwear and shoes. The underwear removal and possessing implies sexual motivation, and the shoe removal implies a sexual fetish. On the night of Hannah's disappearance, Matthew hassled a pair of women at the downtown mall. At one point, he tried to remove one of the women's shoes and said, quote, a woman who takes care of her feet takes care of everything. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. The excessive brutality he exhibited in his crimes implies that he could have been motivated by anger, which he projected onto his victims, as well as sexual gratification. There are limited public details about the sexual assault complaints made against Jesse Matthew when he was in college. Matthew's known victims were all college-aged females. 
a spokesman at Christopher Newport University stated, quote, no physical injuries were reported for Matthew's 2003 rape case on campus. After college, Matthew's modus operandi involved abduction of strangers. In the Fairfax case, he approached the victim in a public area and attempted to use a ruse by asking for directions, but the victim did not engage long before walking away unsettled. He then followed her, lifted and carried her to a grassy, more private location to assault her. He was interrupted by another resident of the complex. In the abductions of Morgan and Hannah, Matthew used a vehicle to transport them to another location where there would be no witnesses or interruptions. To avoid suffering consequences like he did in college and another sketch coming out like an RG's case, Matthew began murdering his victims. He first gained trust from Morgan because he was driving in an official taxi cab. With Hannah, he offered a helping hand when she was lost, a ruse. In both cases, Matthew saw opportunity in highly intoxicated young victims out of their element. All cases involved some kind of sexual assault. Matthew was especially brutal in his assaults. He brutally beat the Fairfax victim on her face and head with his fists, repeatedly slamming her head onto the concrete ground and manually strangled her. Morgan and Hannah were both skeletonized upon discovery and the medical examiner was unable to say how they died beyond quote, homicidal violence of an undetermined ideology. Their broken bones imply a savage beating and Matthew's own injuries indicated a violent struggle. Morgan's t-shirt was covered in Matthew's blood and Matthew was observed by coworkers to have a swollen chin the day after he murdered Hannah. Matthew had a number of developmental risk factors. The psychosocial experiences that criminologists believe increase the probability of engaging in persistent criminal behavior include lack of discipline, school failure, abuse of alcohol, antisocial peers, and childhood victimization. It is known that Matthew's father had alcoholism, which frequently causes a parent to be emotionally and or physically negligent. Little is known about discipline in Matthew's home when he lived with his mother. However, it is known that when Matthew was sentenced to three life sentences for his vicious rape and attempted murder of R.G., Matthew's mother repeatedly screamed, no, I hope you rot in hell. People react in many ways to intense emotional scenarios, but one might interpret her reaction as disagreeing with Matthew's punishment, despite the overwhelming evidence of his guilt, or her blaming Matthew's crimes on other people. It is possible that this attitude branched from the way she raised Matthew, overly permissive and failing to hold him accountable for his actions. It is also known that Matthew struggled academically and withdrew from college due to sexual assault allegations, all school failures. He frequented nightclubs and drank alcohol. It is also known that Matthew was repeatedly victimized in childhood. In the cumulative risk model, the accumulation of risk factors would have led to negative outcomes, significantly related to criminal offending. Matthew also meets most of the social risk factors in the dynamic cascade model. 
He grew up in a very poor household, which is linked to violence due to correlation with stress on parents, violent punishment, criminal victimization, and targeting by law enforcement. Matthew was also rejected by his peers from an early age due to his stutter and social awkwardness. The rejection and bullying affected Matthew's development, potentially contributing to his subsequent antisocial behavior. He had numerous school failures. Matthew was subjected to insurmountable trauma as a child. He also had an alcoholic and delinquent father who openly engaged in extramarital affairs, even in Matthew's presence. Proponents of learning theory would suggest that Matthew internalized behaviors considered normative by his parents and other trusted adults. He observed behaviors from his father that were in complete self-interest, including indulgent binge drinking and affairs, and in blatant deceit and disregard of women in his life. Sutherland's differential association would purport that Matthew's association with his father, who engaged in criminal acts, as well as the adults in his life who sexually assaulted him, taught him to respond to opportunity with delinquency, and that it is respectable to sexually assault a vulnerable and non-consenting victim. Matthew's criminal behavior fits quite well with Agnew's strain theory of criminology. Matthew struggled to succeed through conventional pathways beginning in childhood. Starting in elementary school, Matthew was bullied by peers, and he also struggled in his academics, but he found a healthy alternative pathway to success in his natural athletic ability. His athleticism earned him a scholarship in college, putting him on the path to conventional achievement. This pathway was destroyed when Matthew was accused of sexual assault on two college campuses. Proponents of strain theory would argue that Matthew's failure to achieve the American dream in both his professional and personal life, he was described as painfully awkward with women, led him to seek unconventional pathways to achievement. For Matthew, since he struggled to pick up women by conventional means, he then victimized women as an alternative pathway to achieving his sexual fantasies. Jesse Matthew most likely has sexual sadism, as well as antisocial personality disorder. Matthew apparently achieved sexual gratification from non-consensual sex. Pain, fear, and helplessness experienced by the victim is sexually exciting for the sexual sadist. Matthew had a girlfriend in 2014, but still sought to abduct and rape a teenager. Assuming Matthew and his girlfriend were sexually active, this act indicated consensual sex was not satisfactory for Matthew. Matthew's persistent crimes demonstrated a lack of conscience in regard for the rights of his victims, indicative of antisocial personality disorder. Although Matthew pleaded guilty for his crimes, he never verbally accepted responsibility for his actions, nor did he apologize to the families of his victims. He lacked behavioral controls, impulsively abducting Hannah in a public area with CCTV. Matthew meets most, but not all, of the diagnostic criteria for antisocial personality disorder in that he notably lacked significant cunning or charm. Matthew had just enough cunning for his friends and family to be surprised by his crimes, 
but no one ever described him as charismatic or bright. In criminology, psychopaths are identified in a number of categories. Jesse Matthew meets the criteria for the criminal psychopath. The criminal psychopath takes risks. Matthew abducted Morgan from a bustling street with many witnesses and did so in the middle of his shift working as a cab driver. Furthermore, Matthew abducted Hannah from a busy downtown mall with CCTV when she was acting in a manner that drew the attention of others. His crimes were of opportunity and of impulse. He was extremely violent and persistent in his criminal acts and was brutal in his sexual offenses. One could speculate that he also achieved sexual pleasure from the non-sexual suffering, such as assault and homicide of his victims, characteristic of the criminal psychopathic murders. It is known that Matthew had been drinking the evening he murdered Hannah, and it is typical of the criminal psychopath to be provoked by alcohol intoxication. While there isn't as much information about Jesse Matthew as John Wayne Gacy or Ted Bundy, I believe the available information provides sufficient evidence to support that Jesse Matthews' pathway to serial killing was directed by his exposure to nearly every developmental risk factor, including poverty, school failure, and peer rejection, learned behavior from violent and otherwise deviant adults. The criminal psychopath often acts out of retribution, and like many killers motivated in part by anger, may project the anger onto a stranger. Jesse Matthews' potential and future crumbled before his eyes when he was accused of sexual assault twice in college. Matthew went on to live paycheck to paycheck working blue-collar jobs. Matthew was likely bitter and angry given the insurmountable strain of failing to achieve the American dream, and he blamed it on his victims instead of on himself. Matthew went on to brutalize complete strangers all during the fall season, the same time of year he had withdrawn from Liberty University in 2002 and Christopher Newport University in 2003. One could argue that Matthew, triggered by the time of year, sought release in his uncontrollable rage for his lost potential, a subject for retribution even more vulnerable than he was as a helpless child. He had learned in his developmental years that it was acceptable to do, and his callous, psychopathic self persisted in such behaviors unhindered by remorse.